0: Welcome back to another episode of the Brave New Workforce. I'm your host, Trip O'Dell, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Anna Kudina and Larry Kurnett. How are you guys doing today?
1: Great. It's raining and there is a cat sleeping on my couch.
2: Well, uh, it's not so great in California. Um, we're getting ready to, to go into lockdown again. They're starting to shut down restaurants and bars and all that stuff. So, uh, But I am excited about the fourth with no fireworks.
1: Speaking of fireworks, guys, there's something that we want to talk about that can be a little touchy. Uh, today's topic is about unicorns, dream teams, and other cautionary tales. Uh, we kind of want to highlight why our current hiring process, our onboarding process of new talent, is severely broken. What do you guys think?
0: Well, I was getting excited when you were talking about cautionary tales and fireworks because I was flashing back to my uh, my preteen years. But yes, let's let's talk about hiring. <laughs>
1: Is there a story there I want to know or should we just skip past that quickly?
0: Uh, it's probably a long story and I'm not sure the statute of limitations has run out. So back okay. to hiring. <laughs> so And hiring, I totally agree with you, Anna. Uh, hiring is badly broken. Uh, and I think, especially in tech, but in other industries as well, hiring is one of the most expensive, difficult things you have to do as an organization. And there's good kinds of hiring and there's bad kinds of hiring. There's hiring that is really about backfilling. And if you're doing a lot of backfill hiring, that means you have a major attrition problem. If you're doing a lot of hiring quickly, there is, that can be good hiring because that means you're growing, but it also means that you're in a rush to make decisions and you kind of get analysis paralysis. And now we have remote, or we have teams that are trying to hire remotely and the on-site stuff doesn't work when you're over Zoom quite as well. And so we're gonna dive in on that. So Larry, what do you think? What you, you've been on both sides of this, both as a candidate and as a hiring manager. Um, what are your thoughts on how badly broken hiring has become just even in recent years?
2: Yeah, I would say that there's been a huge difference in companies and teams that I've been in, in terms of the hiring experience. Um, You know, as a candidate, I think a lot of us had had some bad experiences in tech. And one company I worked at, we actually made a huge effort to improve that. We said, this has to be better for the candidates. We wanted to have a world-class candidate experience. So one of the things, for example, we fixed was the ghosting issue. It's a huge issue and it's still going on with remote hiring. We said no candidate ever gets ghosted. No matter what happens, we say they're not going we're not going to hire them, we're not going to move forward, we get back to that candidate. So I think it depends a lot on the company. There are some companies that care a lot about this and they realize that it's part of it is part of the corporate brand how you treat your candidates and how the whole process works. And there's other companies that just seem to be moving so fast as you were just saying that they're just trying to get warm bodies in the door. And they're being really aggressive with filtering people out and really strict job requirements that, you know, looking for the unicorns. And a lot of candidates are like, who fits that profile, right? I mean, who could possibly meet all those requirements?
1: Yeah. I mean, so how many times have you seen uh, on the job board? It's like you, it's an entry level position that you need 10 years of experience to get into. Um, does it really have to be that way? I mean, do you, does somebody really need to have 10 years of experience just to be considered quality talent?
0: Oh, don't get me started on that. Uh, because when I, when I was hiring, um, I used to, I'd say, uh, so I, I completely mean it, but, uh, you know, people would look at a entry level, uh, designer, And they would say minimum five years of experience, a graduate degree, uh, you know, worked on large scale products and all those sorts of things. Um, I think uh, the way I used to put it is that they're they're looking for a principal designer with low self-esteem. Somebody with all of those (laughs) skill sets is incredibly humble, easy to get along with, you know, looks good in a suit, like all of the things that, you know, this, this level of perfection and they call them unicorns and they call them ninjas and all of these other completely vapid non, like it, it, it sort of gives employers the opportunity to cop out on being specific about what they like. It's like, we don't know what we want, but we'll tell you when we see it. And so they spend hours and hours and hours of everyone that's doing the screening and the interviewing and the debriefing and the candidate's time creating these higher and higher level tests to get somebody in the door that doesn't actually exist. That's why they're called unicorns. If you believe in unicorns, that's fine. You know, get your crystals or whatever, but don't be in, don't be in a position where you're trying to hire people because it's setting an unrealistic expectation and you're setting yourself up for failure.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I remember, You know, the few companies where everybody wanted to hire very, very, very senior talent, very senior designers, very senior engineers. And their reasoning was, well, they can do a lot more work. They can take on bigger projects. They're faster. But then you end up with a top-heavy organization. So you have this organization that's completely full of very senior talent. Project comes through that needs to get done. It's not the most exciting project. It's not a crown jewel. And guess what? All those senior designers are like, I'm not taking it. That's beneath me. I don't want to work on that. And you start to actually have no existence of a career path or career ladder because everybody is at the very top of the band. And so one of the things you have to kind of guide the executives through and even the recruiting team is we need a full spectrum of people. We want entry level folks coming fresh out of college. We want people that don't even have college degrees. So you get more diversity of thought. And of course, yeah, you want some senior people, but you can't have a team that is entirely composed of extremely senior unicorns.
1: Yeah. I I would like to just note that especially diverse backgrounds really, really help. I met a programmer where his background, his study of expertise was a mechanic, car mechanic. And he decided to switch career fields and become a programmer. And honestly, he was the best programmer I ever worked with. Diligent. He had systems and processes in place that he learned on the job as a mechanic and um, fantastic person to work with. So just think you wouldn't have gotten somebody like that if you had a 10 year minimum requirement.
0: So that's a really good point. 10 years of experience doesn't get you a 10 times better candidate. There is a top out uh, where you don't get that much better at the core skill sets. You you reach a degree of mastery. And what people don't really talk about uh, as much, especially in tech, is that there is an end point of expertise. And what you run into is that you get this really deep bench of people that are like super senior, but have had no career development. They haven't learned the skill sets that get them to that next level, which is all soft skills. It's all leadership. You bring in a Mm -hmm. super senior person who has the maturity to look at a problem and say, yeah, that's not the problem we're solving. We should be doing X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then redirects the team. They get the team there faster, whether they're a manager or a principal uh, level engineer or designer. But then you also don't have those growth opportunities for those people that have really, are really starting to come into their own in terms of the skill set, um, but they've ha- not had the mentorship and they are just banging their head against that ceiling and they're getting frustrated and they're leaving because they've, they've already done the things that you're hiring to do right? They want something where they're going to grow. They're going to learn more. Um, And that's where hiring falls down is that you're looking for what people have already done uh, and that they have all of this experience. And you're not actually looking at, do they have the right systems? As you said, the mechanic built his learning systems. They have this resilience, this growth mindset, and this curiosity and this wanting to grow. That's who you want to hire. And we have a tendency to filter. Filter those people out because they don't check boxes
2: or they don't pattern match against what you already know. I mean, one of the things that I think companies also don't think about is where are they in their own life cycle and where are their products in their life cycle and what kind of people do you need the most right now? And I've been at really mature companies, like big corporations, and they're like, we need a whole bunch of innovators. We need all innovators. And it's like, no, you don't. Because we have an entire suite of products that are in different stages of their life cycle. Some of them are what I call cash cow products. It's like, you're not going to innovate. You're not going to disrupt. They're driving revenue for the company. They're operating just fine. And so I used to tell them, it's like, you need a mix. You need what I would call innovators. Yes, occasionally you do need some people that do innovation. You need disruptors, which is scary for executives. These are the people that come in and they blow everything up. They're really contentious. They're hard to work with. But they actually have brilliant ideas. I have no idea what you're talking about, Larry. <laughs> I might know one or two of those yeah. <laughs> very, very closely. Uh, and then I said you need optimizers and you need maintainers.
1: Yeah, so, and, and there's something to be said there. I mean, we want uh, some companies just want, oh, we need to push innovation. We need to push innovation. But then they hire for exactly what you said, Larry, they always are hiring for innovation. But when you think about it, you don't really want your finance people to be creative, innovative and risk taking, you know, especially when they're balancing the budget. So there's a time and a place for uh, having an innovation team or a creative team. And to kind of uh, circle back on Tripp's point about checking the boxes. That's something that I've struggled with when applying for traditionally when applying for a job because uh, they want a a college education. They want you to be in a specific location. They want all these things that I do not check. And so getting through the kind of automated system is nearly impossible for me. Um, The only way I have found around it is actually physically talking to the person or through my contacts or through my network and getting kind of the in that way. Um, and so once you get the in that way, the checkboxes don't become as apparent. But you have to talk to a live individual first. It's like going through the operating system on customer support and pressing zero like a 100 times so you can finally speak to the live representative. That's how I as a very untraditional um, remote employee, remote freelancer has gone around the hiring process. So
0: yeah. And, ahead, and I try. wish we had met years ago because you're exactly the kind of candidate that I look for. But like that's because I am uh, pretty non traditional. As you guys know, I started in teaching and coaching. And one of the lessons that I pulled away uh, as a coach, like I, I coached little league lacrosse, everything from third and fourth grade all the way up to high school. And 10 out of 13 seasons, I took ranked beginners and took them to state championships and regional championships. Mm-hmm. But, um, the thing about that is that you needed to look at how you build your bench, right? So if you've got, in lacrosse, they have lines that are running and you're swapping them out every two or three minutes. Uh, you have got you don't put all of your best players on your first line because they're running constantly. You need to figure out what's the right mix of personnel on each line to get the right, like who's the strong shooter, who's the guy that always knows where the ball is going to go. Like those are the things that you look for. And they call that broken combs. Uh, And it's sort of the inverse of a T-shape. So if you imagine a comb that has missing teeth, you know, those missing teeth may be gaps in that person's background or that person's experience. But what are the differentiating strengths? And it's about being able to meet that candidate, understand the needs of your team really, really well, and have your team be self-aware of where their gaps are. Because if they're not looking for those opportunities to fill in each other's gaps, they're also not aligned on what needs to happen, and so they're looking for people that they like or are friendly or are charismatic. And that's where terrible hires happen.
2: You know, it kind of goes back to something that Anna was saying, which was some of my best talent that I ever hired did not have a formal education. They were self-taught, they kind of bootstrapped themselves. One of my best engineers had no college degree. He came in and interviewed with me one night. and He said, I'm surprised you you took the, the interview. He said, I don't have the requirements that you're looking for. But I looked at what he had done and he had started multiple businesses, his own. His own businesses, wrote all the code, launched them, they were profitable. And I said, I thought what you had done is really impressive. And so we started talking and he ended up being one of my best hires ever. He's a CTO now at a company. So it's like, here's this guy who's a CTO with no CS degree, no formal education, no formal training. It's pretty amazing.
1: I think when it comes to the education piece, if you don't have it, it's not like a death sentence because you read statistics saying, oh, if you don't have a high school degree, you're probably going to end up in prison or something. And if you don't have a college education, you're probably never going to see a a salary of six figures or something like that. And there's like so many statistics and quote unquote studies that showcase that. And although it might be true for the majority, I don't know. I do see that if you have an untraditional background, if you've never completed high school, for example, it's not a death sentence. You just have to be scrappy and a little bit creative on how to get around those roadblocks um, that hiring, uh, the the systemized hiring process is. Like the moment you have to submit or upload a a CV or resume to a website, you're already going to be blocked out. That's just the fact.
0: Well, and that's something that Larry and I both talk about with our clients is how do you circumvent that kind of a system? And what you're talking about is what I used to call, I, I'm, I'm pretty good at recognizing talent and those T-shapes and those broken combs. I call them diamonds and coal mines. Like how do you find somebody that no one else is paying attention to and you see what the talent is if somebody gives them the right mentorship, the right management, uh, the right opportunity to grow, but you're, at, you're auditing. As a manager, you're checking in with them. You're helping to develop that talent. And that's something that a lot of companies have lost sight of, is that a manager is in charge and a manager is there to be accountable. But the manager isn't necessarily expected to develop their team, which is a major gap. And I think that's going to have to be something that changes with remote because you need a manager that is facilitator and in empowering the team to do its best work and getting out of the way of the talent. And that's not the way it's been. Um, one other thing, too, is some of the dumbest people I've ever worked with went to Harvard. And, you know, that using that education or Stanford, I'll be by coastal <laughs> right, uh, is that, yeah. I mean, they're smart people, they're book smart, but they can't work well with others or they're too narrow on their thing. And if you're looking at education pedigree, think of it as outsourcing your judgment for what is right for your team. To another organization that you don't know the criteria that they allowed that person to
2: go to that school that's that's just irresponsible yeah i was going to say there's there's a few things that i always told my team to look for and it was like intelligence adaptability and attitude because if you have those a good candidate a good hire can do almost anything a lot of stuff that you learn in college is already outdated by the time you get to the job anyway. So what it's about, as you were talking about, is like growing and developing and learning on the job. So if you got people who are willing to kind of dig in, learn, and can teach themselves, they can do almost anything. And to your other point, it's like we used to talk about this at, at a few companies I was at, which is the hiring process doesn't stop when the employee starts. I mean, you have to continue to court that employee keep them interested, give them opportunities, grow them, show them that there's a career path at the company because things have changed. And I think remote's going to accelerate this. Anybody with one email can get a job offer from any company in the world now. So if you're not treating your employees well and you're not giving them development opportunities, they can walk so quickly now.
1: Yeah, so I know we're talking about like the hiring process is broken. What are kind of the key bullet points on what makes this process broken because we are talking about what makes a good candidate but why is the system itself so unusable
0: so i have a couple of thoughts i think larry's dead on he really what you're describing larry is the growth mindset you know that sort of curiosity that resilience that willingness to fail and learn um, I think the other risk is that, as we move to more distributed teams, you need to have really rigorous onboarding processes and and we've we've tried to figure this out. I mean, we haven't talked about them much on air yet, but um, the brave new apprentices are are, are you know, Brian and Anna Michelle, who are uh, working with us during their summer, uh, and hopefully not. but Possibly the fall, uh, you know, away from school, where they're doing real work. They're in Florida and in the Washington D.C. area, but they are they. We've never met them in person. How do we get them up to speed? How do we get them into tools? How do we how do we we develop them? That's something that you have to do with every employer. You have to think about how you're going to do that with every employee as teams go remote. First, um, I think the one thing in terms of this process the big risks are what's known as confirmation bias it, and that this is where implicit discrimination comes in play this is where uh you you know is this person like us you use the quote unquote culture fit uh and really you want to look at culture compatibility not necessarily fit if you're if you're actually Hiring and making your 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 culture more inclusive, but also stronger and more resilient. You don't have a monoculture. That's a sign of a bad, flawed hiring practice. And so that confirmation bias, and also what's called um, what's what's the term, Larry? Uh, Loss aversion. Yeah, behavioral economics, loss aversion. People who's who it's easier to say no than to yes um, on a risky bet. Right, I'd rather wait for perfect rather than sufficient with potential, Um, because nobody gets hired, nobody gets fired for hiring perfect, quote unquote perfect, Uh, and that those are all big problems. And the research doesn't bear any of that thinking out. The research says that a a group of moderately good people does way better than one expert or or a group of experts because the experts are all fighting with one another. The group is collaborating and they're getting better results,
2: better insights quicker.
1: And Larry, why do you think the hiring process is broken?
2: Well, I think it comes back to some of the stuff we were saying earlier that because of the scale of hiring that's happening at some companies, they've created all these automated systems and they've created this list of requirements to filter out thousands of candidates because they're trying to save time. They're trying to save their time and they're trying to say, Only if someone goes through all these filters and meets all these requirements are we going to even begin to bother ourselves with doing a phone screen or talking with someone. And I think that whole system is completely broken to Tripp's earlier points like, okay, this person has 10 years of experience. This person only has two years of experience. Well, what if that person with two years of experience has actually created more astounding products than the person who worked for 10? What -hmm. if the way they think about things is completely different and more powerful than the person who worked for 10 years? So I think you have to do away with that requirement. So I mean, there are certain skills that you have to have, like, can you actually code in this language? Because we do. And I tell you what, most talented people can learn a language pretty quickly, but I think it can come down to skills. It can come down to looking at how people think. One of the most valuable exercises that I've ever done at a company is collaborative exercises not the homework stuff it's like go off and do homework and show us your homework when you come in who works like that that's not uh, how we work today d- don't right get me st- I, don't don't I, get me I, I started don't you, on the i homework. don't know how you feel about homework
1: <laughs> yeah yeah no.
2: but i want i always enjoyed and now you could do it with video chat but i'd get into a room with a candidate and it's like let's solve this problem together ask me the questions you would want to ask me ask me for the data who are you going to work with let's do it together i want to see the way that they think and how we get we collaborate to get to that solution, that shows me so much more about a candidate's potential than some contrived homework exercise.
0: Yeah, it, there's. I've seen people stack these things up too, where you have too many. Uh, it's again, you get to your you're responsible and accountable and and consulted and informed. The racy companies aren't clear enough about that in their hiring practices. They they'll they'll say, oh well, we need to get the, it's better to have them speak to 10 people than three, right? It's better to have them speak to 15 people and do a one hour presentation and an exercise. And it gets to the point where you've taken 20, 40 hours of the candidate's time just to prepare for this uh, and to make this decision. And then you're making it by sort of arbitrary means. And um, Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Anna.
1: So I know you uh, worked at Amazon and you really liked the the interview process there. Um, why is that?
0: So there were different reasons that I liked it. And there's things that I've adapted out of that. Um, so for a design, what well, we called it a loop. I was on probably close to 300 interview loops at Amazon. Uh, and to give you a, a sense of context for every interview loop, there were probably 15 phone screens for different candidates. So two phone screens per candidate. Uh, and then, prior to that, there was probably a hundred a hundred uh, resumes for every phone screen. So you're looking at thousands of resumes, hundreds of phone calls, and then dozens and dozens of loops. Each one of those loops has a portfolio review that's an hour long, five interviews, and then they make a decision. Um, the one thing the one thing that I liked about that is that Amazon says that it hires for athletes it looks for behavioral characteristics and they use behavioral interviewing, which behavioral interviewing when it's done poorly is, um, is really just a a recipe for disaster because you're just going to fire a high, find a lot of like hires. Like the thing I liked about Amazon is that they, they keep themselves honest with their bar raisers. The person that is there that is neutral is not in the hiring managers reporting chain. Uh, it says, this is the way we run things. I will facilitate this. And the bar raiser, if they don't meet the, the bar raiser means that has somebody has to be 50% above the bar, that bar raiser can veto a hire. Uh, and that that's really useful because they align it on cultural principles.
1: Yeah. It seems like they had more of a measured way to bring new people in instead of this kind of abstract feeling, emotional, I kind of like his personality, uh, a way that most people hire. So with that in mind, how do managers, CEOs, founders hire while remote?
2: I mean, I think that you have to start bringing some of the things that we were just talking about into this remote experience. And for one, I think if I look at it from the manager perspective, let's be respectful of of how stressful and how challenging it is to do these remote interviews. You know i i won't name names but i know somebody who had probably five to six hours of interviews back to back to back to back through video chat that is incredibly draining and stressful and it's not very respectful to the candidate you wouldn't do that in person don't do it remote so just realize that it's going to be hard enough you need to give people breaks and so you should really think of it as how as trip was saying how can we minimally interview this candidate to get the information that we need Also, from the manager's perspective, who should this person be interviewed by or meet with that's going to sell them on your company? So many times companies don't think about that. They're like, let's put them to the ringer. Let's interview them. It's like, you also need to sell that candidate. So who is going to impress the candidate from your interviewing team? Not everybody has to interview the candidate. So one thing that we did when we would
0: debrief on a candidate that I liked at Amazon is um, we went through special training uh, to be able... To be eligible to interview Um, but everyone would you'd have a pre-brief where the hiring manager would align everybody on what exactly the requirements for the role was or were and what we were looking for they would assign various leadership principles they would have the loop um, and you were supposed to do written feedback and you're listening for those assigned leadership principles plus anything else. And you're putting pluses and minuses and you're writing back specifics. And then you have to go in and you have to put your feedback into the system and vote yes or no before you can see what anybody else said. And once you submit it, it's in there. And then you have the debrief. Everybody comes in and they read all of the feedback. The first 10, 15 minutes are spent all reading and you, the, 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 the bar raiser facilitates it and debriefs and it goes around and people have an opportunity to change votes and debate or whatever. And then they come to a decision uh, and the decision is made and they don't look at it in terms of like, well, we have three other candidates coming in. Let's keep this one warm. They make a decision. Uh, they're hiring for athletes. Is this person good for Amazon? Yes. Are they good for the role? Yes. Okay. So we're not looking at other people, this person, let's hire them. And that's how Amazon's been able to grow really, really quickly. The other thing that I do, like that larry said and i did this in my own piece is having i call the exercise the kobayashi maru which is actually a test around the way the person thinks and the way that they deal with failure and the way that they deal and that comes from star trek it's a geeky reference around it was the unbeatable test for for, for whatever reason the person cannot beat the test and you have to see when you change the conditions Because it's that resilience that you're going to have failures. You're going to encounter frustrations. How do they deal with that? How do they collaborate?
2: That's crucial. So, Anna, from the candidate perspective, because we've been talking a lot about the hiring manager and the teams and the companies, but this is a two-way street. So, for the candidates and the people out there listening who are looking for new jobs and they're doing interviewing themselves, what advice would you give them?
1: Yeah, um, not There's a lot of fish in the sea, basically. And so if you're in an interview loop and you're getting red flags, listen to those flags because you also have the strengths and the cards in your hands as well. I mean, it's a two-way street. If you don't like something you see at the company, then there's other companies out there that would fit your values um, much better. So a lot of, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of companies structure their interview process where it's a me, 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 I'm so great, you are so privileged to come and work for me. But reality is, is that you are the one that's bringing in the skill sets. So you can be just as picky. Um, Don't let people think, tell you or think that just because the job market is very limited, that you are somehow lucky and blessed to be working. And of course, that's difficult. That's easy to say if you are unemployed, and like, you really need a job, right. But at the same time, you know, you can be choosy. You don't need to be forced through a very toxic environment just because you feel like this is the only place in your area that will hire you. I mean, as we open up into remote, there's several, there's so much more options you can pick from and um, that will treat you well, treat you better than what you are accustomed to in, in your own backyard.
0: Well, I think the other thing too, and I think you're exactly right, is the other Treating, treating the hiring process is a lot like dating. It sounds crass to say that, but you know, if you were looking at someone as a, as a potential date, uh, would you want somebody that's going to say, you're going to be so lucky to go out with me? It's not even like, let me just, t- I have, look at my glass door. Like there's a lot of satisfied customers. No, you don't want to work for that place. That's a terrible place to work. Uh, the other side of it, too, is that you don't want to be the needy candidate that's saying, date me, date mm-hmm. me, date me, mm-hmm. right? It's you want to have that genuine confidence in that sense of that that actually is very attractive to the right employers. And it's very scary to the wrong employers. I've never regretted a job I didn't get. Uh, and, and so but I regretted a few that I have. Uh, so, so, and, and having ignored flags around like, wow, they seem really put off by the fact that I'm confident, right? Or that I know what I'm good at. That's a, that's a good sign for a candidate. And you're right. Lots of fish in the sea. And even it's a bigger, bigger ocean now with remote candidates are not going to be stuck with the employers that are in that area. You're going to have to up your game to hire the best people. Well, hiring isn't easy. It's actually one of the riskiest things you can do in a business. And that's Correct. why it helps to. Uh, Maybe bring it, uh, I've done this for uh, clients before where I'll go through as a candidate and evaluate it from their candidate side, Uh, or I will look at it, come in as an outsider and help them figuring out like, this is is something that is a consistent issue. So there's not a simple, quick answer on the right way to do it. I think the best advice I can give is like, think about it as a courtship. It's two-sided. The candidate can say no just as easily to you as you can say to them. Uh, and they're going to get a lot more no's as candidates have more and more opportunities in a distributed workforce. Uh, so that's coming, and the smart the smart employers are going to lean in on and figure out what does that mean to be offsite and different. We don't know all the answers to that, but it's it's going to be increasingly a problem because you're going to find your slow your hiring s- slows way down. So be thoughtful about that. Treat your candidates like your best customers because. If you're especially if you're a consumer brand, they're going to remember how they were treated uh, because that is part of your brand.
2: You know, I often talk with my clients about becoming opportunity magnets, becoming so good at what you do and so well known that all of these opportunities come to you. Companies want to hire you. They come to you. And I think it's true with companies too. So I mean, I think the advice I would give to a company or to a hiring employer is become a talent magnet. And the way that you do that is you create a good company culture, you provide opportunity, you hire and cultivate what, you know, a talent, what we call a talent, a talent attracts a talent. So one of the best ways to get some of the best candidates in the world is to have the best employees in the world and make them part of the process. Because that is one easy thing, if you can call it easy, that you can do right away is to have so many talented people in your organization that they know other talented people. And people want to work with them. And that lets you know long before you get into the interview process, this is somebody who's really smart, really talented. They have the right attitude. We'd love to have them on board. Now you go through the formality of kind of like dotting your I's and crossing your T's of the interview, but you already know. You already know you want this person.
1: Yeah. And with that said, if you currently are looking for a position um, or you're trying to fill in a position, really question what the requirements are for that position. Does that person really need uh, a college education in order to succeed in this role? Does this person really need five years of experience in order to succeed in this role? Um, Question those details because you might be pushing qualified, qualified people out um, when they could be complete rock stars in your company.
0: Think about it. The way I think about it is uh, the famous book Moneyball. The, those players that are on the field, they, they may not be the superstar players uh, because they haven't been given the chance or they may not look like superstars on paper. Those are your diamonds in the coal mine. If you, if you put in the extra work, not only will you get a team that will walk through fire for you uh, and will grow and will push themselves to develop, uh, they will make the entire organization better. Uh, but it takes a little bit more work and a little bit more intentionality and it needs to be aligned in part of your culture. If you have equity or diversity problems, those are things to start looking at first. You can't just go find those the right people and get them in. You need to actually think about things like apprenticeships and the ability to develop talent internally and grow people that may come from a non-traditional background.
1: Yeah, I would actually like to end on a story. My father was telling me when he was in high school, um, the basketball team, which was usually filled with, you know, between 14 to 17 year old males every year, they would play against the teachers and the teachers would end up winning despite the teenagers being able bodied and completely well conditioned for the game that they were playing. And the reason why is because the teachers immediately knew their strengths and were able to play off and be a better team despite their ages. I mean, you would work with people who are between 45 to 60. One of them was in a wheelchair. The other one had like paralysis from a stroke. And they still won from, from being able to work off the strengths of others, even though they didn't quote unquote have traditional backgrounds or... Um, th- like prime male physicality. Right. So think about that with your team. Like you, you might not have all star players, but that doesn't mean they can't work off their strengths and win big, big games.
2: I love that. Um, and on that note, if you like what you heard today, subscribe, rate us, send us an email if there's topics you'd like us to cover. And if you need a little more help with your organization trying to figure out how you can transition into this new world of remote hiring and onboarding and interviewing, we're here to help. Anna, where can they find out more information?
1: Yeah, you can find us at thebraveworkforce.com or if you'd like for us to take a look at your company, uh, we are at bravenewcompanies.com and we're more than happy to talk with you.
0: So this is Trip, Anna, and Larry uh, saying thanks again for listening. Have a good day and keep putting one foot in front of the other. Better days are ahead.